they're going to be looking at us and they're going to be factoring us in. We have to make ourselves a hard target. Welcome to the Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Protecting the Protector. Today, Sean West and myself are delighted to welcome back Thomas Pecora, former CIA security officer, to the podcast to discuss ways in which the Protector can take themselves out of harm's way and enable the principal to be protected themselves. Sean, why is this an important topic? For many reasons. If you know, everyone can watch a Hollywood movie and you, know, you can see bodyguards throwing themselves in front of the bullets in front of their principal, if you're jumping in front of the principal and you're taking the bullet, then nobody's protecting the principal. So whilst your role is to protect the principal, sometimes you have to have a bit more thought in how you carry out that protective role. It's no good. And I think other examples of stepping outside the security industry is if someone goes and gets electrocuted off an electric fence, they're lying there, you know, and you go and attempt to give them first aid and you get electrocuted yourself because they're still attached. You've got to give some thought and have some situational awareness to what's going on in any given incident. Love it. And I love that analogy because it's not just about protecting yourself with some kinetic response because there's enough uh, lessons and, and even we on the podcast have talked about managing violence and uh, there's a there's a lot of opinions on martial arts and protective skills and, and things like that but you, but you really really don't want to be dragged into that obviously so what do you think we can try and extract from uh, our conversation with Thomas in terms of ways to protect yourself if not kinetic I mean I'd like you know you still need to have these kinetic skills, the you know, martial arts or unarmed com- combat techniques. You still need to have these skills and abilities that can be called upon if required. It's like insurance. You know, if something happens, you need to have insurance to be able to take care of it. But no, I'm looking forward to hearing from Thomas. And his, his background, you know, speaks volumes, speaks for it's, itself. He's been in the industry so long and worked at such a high level. Whatever he says is coming from experience. and. I know we're going to be talking about situational awareness and you know, how we can improve that in the operators of today. Love it. Well, let's meet Thomas and welcome him back to the Sega Magazine podcast. I think it's been at least a, a year or so, maybe two. Uh, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to catch up with him and learn about protecting the protector. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Protecting the Protector. Today, we are delighted to welcome back to the podcast Thomas Pecora, former CI security officer and currently focusing on strategic awareness and uses across the whole security system. It's a real pleasure to welcome you back. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Well, today, Sean West and myself, we're delighted to delve into this, um, but let's do our three quickfire questions to get everything moving. Protecting the protector. Um, is there anything actually wrong at the moment? What, what's the problem that we're trying to solve here? 
I think sometimes we get distracted by, um, by ha having to try to take on too much. Uh, prioritization is, is a major um, uh, difficulty and it's something that we need to, to really focus on. Uh, e even specialists in, um, in, in security fields like uh, terrorism analysis, et cetera, uh, even they can't cover the full gambit of what's going on in the world. We have to focus really on the, the, the likely threats and the known threats um, that affect not only our protectees, but ourselves. And then, and then I guess um, to the extent that you can, you know, why you? Obviously, we're delighted to have you back and we know why. But but can you tell everyone where your passion for this uh, comes from? Well, I, uh, I started out at, at the CIA in, in 1989 and um, my whole career has been spent um, basically protecting uh, CIA personnel, um, operations, uh, equipment, people, etc. And uh, I, I got into uh, some very specialized areas, one of which was protective operations. Another area was counterterrorism. And I found that these, these merged. Uh, we're dealing with threats to our protectees uh, from a variety of sources, lone wolf, um, organized crime, uh, political uh, and, and some state-sponsored terrorism, and then just terrorist groups. So our understanding of the threat environment and utilizing some of the techniques that we've developed over the years has um, been very effective for, for the CIA in terms of protecting our people, not only in the more benign environments, but also in, in places like the war zones. Okay. No, that makes sense. And and then and then not that I imagine there's any really truly uninitiated EP officer out there, you know, listening. But but for the uninitiated, uh, who does not know about protecting themselves as well as protecting the principle, uh, what should they begin to better understand? There's been a, a movement towards uh, more of a covert protective operations um, methodology. It's something that we did extensively at the CIA uh, because uh, when we're protecting our officers, they're out doing clandestine activities and we can't stand out. So we have to blend in the environment. Uh, in terms of people in, in, who are not doing clandestine operations, our ability to uh, not attract attention, which then uh, gets moved on to our protectee, is important. And it also helps us blend into the environment. If we're conscious of uh, being the, gr the gray man in the environment, we're going to be most likely ignored by a potential threat, and they're going to be laser focused on our protectee. And, and this gives us a chance to see them uh, uh, prepping and uh, gives us a chance to mitigate. So where does the personal safety of the EP operator conflict with the mission of protecting the principal? Well, if you if you lose your protect uh, protective agents, the, the, the principal is, is vulnerable. So it, it it's kind of a um, chicken or egg in a way. Uh, the we also don't want to be the source of uh, of potential conflict. That you unfortunately in Hollywood you see these um, these bodyguards actually getting their protectees into trouble. So their their activities are no longer um, uh, helping the protectee, they're, they're a hindrance. Uh, the Secret Service has a very strong um, uh, set of principles on that. One of them is never embarrass the protectee. Yeah, for sure. So how, how can an operator decrease their, I don't know, their field of focus towards what's necessary without the, the fear of being called out for not addressing what 
could very well be irrelevant areas. Well, there, there as I mentioned, there's a, there's kind of a, a movement towards some of the low profile protection details. Uh, what this does, uh, it, it allows the protectee a little more space and a, a, a less of a, a public footprint. Uh, I'll give you an example. There were times when we would move the, the director of CIA in a sedan and we would have a car um, a block ahead and maybe a car a block behind. And no one would be uh, observing a motorcade. They were just another vehicle on the road. Um, in terms of walking into a venue, if you're utilizing um, surveillance detection or counter surveillance teams, you can secure an area and allow your protectee to, to, to enter that area without the, the, the profile of, uh, of, a, of a diamond formation, which attracts a lot of attention. Give you an example of, there was, um, uh, there was a, a, a protective agent standing in a, uh, in a woman's uh, clothing store in Narita Airport. And as I'm walking by this, this very large, he must have been about six, seven, uh, gentleman is standing in that uh, clothing store and he's standing alone. Now, I immediately pulled it aside and I wanted to see what was going on because that attracted my attention. It wasn't long before Beyonce and her mother came out of the dressing room. And I thought, wow, okay. The, the, the profile of the protective agent um, attracted more, uh, attracted attention that would, under different circumstances, um, we would have just walked on by. So it's there are times when that's appropriate and there's times when it is. And that's um, adding that potential feature means that we have to work harder on our, our surveillance um, expertise, learning uh, more about how to do low profile uh, counter surveillance, um, utilizing uh, advanced teams that are not standing out uh, in the typical suit and, um, and sunglasses but we'll go into the area, uh, check it out, and then uh, may, uh, set up an observation point where they have the full area in view. And it's, it's, this is especially um, useful when the protectee is not on a schedule or is not, um, it is not a known event. When they walk into a, a store, a restaurant that, that no one could know that they're going to, there, there are some things that, uh, that we can do to lower the profile so that uh, we're not going to attract the, um, the people that are a problem based on wrong place, mm -hmm. wrong time. Yeah, I think, I think there's a, a time and place for everything. And each protective detail has its own unique elements. And I'm a big fan of low profile protection. And like you said, you know, the softer skills and not attracting attention where it's not required. As you say, you know, where people can just walk on by and they don't even know. Beyonce is in this venue or whoever it may be. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And it's, you know, it's, it's a skill that can be taught to a degree, but I think a lot, a lot of the time it's, it's one of them. Some people have a natural aura that you can't shake off. If you, you know, if you're a six foot eight, nine bodyguard, then obviously you may not be correct for <laughs> one protective detail where for the other one, you may be perfect. So I guess it depends on the operator, the scenario, the situation, who they're protecting, in what method of protection you provide and employ on that detail. But yeah, for sure, low profile is, is the way forward for the majority of tasks, certainly 
on the tasks I've worked in, that, that, that's been our sort of method, method of operandi. Um, but for yourself, you may have worked on different ones where it requires a completely different approach, for sure. Um, so, so moving on anyway, uh, how can an EP operator increase their own observational skills? Um, you know, to identify things such as cover, concealment, medical supplies. Um, it's not just the skills that you're doing on an advance. How can they increase their situational awareness through training, through carrying out the role? Um, how do you see the best way in helping operators improve that? Well, we, we've been doing this um, at the agency for many years because part of that training is what we call tradecraft. Um, having our officers get out and about and, um, and, and learn their environment. Uh, but it, for some people, it, it, the learning process, they, they need some training. And uh, the organization that I'm working for, our career group, we've developed a situational awareness uh, training uh, course that uh, provides the baseline, starts from basically zero and works um, people up to the point where they have skills and capabilities that they didn't have before. But one of the things I have to warn you, it's like driver training. Uh, when you, you may learn all the principles of driving, but until you get out on the road and you practice this on a regular basis, you're never gonna be a good driver. Um, so uh, sometimes people think, well, it's something I can book learn or I can, uh, I can just take a class and it's over. No, situational awareness is an evolving thing because the environment changes. We have to build habits that become almost um, subconscious. Where we're, when we go into an area, we are, uh, we are scanning the area and we're picking up very specific details. Now you mentioned um, on a bunch of, of the key elements like uh, entrances and exits, um, uh, fire escapes and fire, uh, fire equipment, uh, where the bathrooms are. These are key things that, that any experienced advanced person on a, on a protection detail, they've learned to do this very quickly, you know, it's a habit, but they have to add more to their to their toolbox. They have to be looking at the environment from the, the point of, of view of the bad guy. They've got to be understanding what the, are the characters of the threats that they're dealing with. Uh, if you're only dealing with paparazzi, that's a whole nother animal than an organized um, terrorist group that has some sophistication in their approach. You have to be looking for some very specific things. Uh, for example, um, with, with a, a sophisticated terrorist group, we're utilizing the, um, we're working against the weaknesses in the terrorist attack cycle. And the biggest weaknesses that we've been capitalizing on is their requirement for surveillance. They need to be in places where they can surveil us. So adding, if we've got a, a very specific terrorist threat, we need to be looking for the observation points that are the likely spots for terrorists to 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 be surveilling us. And when we see somebody in there, we have to investigate. We had um, a major terrorist threat against uh, the director and the deputy director of CIA uh, back in the 90s. We put together a common surveillance team and we were uh, religiously looking at um, his neighborhood, routes to work and looking for these, um, these surveillance points, the, the choke points, possible attack sites. And we were very, very cognizant of the locations of the observation points. So we're looking for what we call a terrorist signature. That's that surveillance signature. This is important 
um, be because it translates into um, similar threats with organized crime. If it's a kidnapping, if it's a murder, if it's a, um, uh, if it's a carjacking, any type of, of threat, there's oftentimes um, a, this surveillance signature. And that's where uh, being situationally aware and having that, that uh, focus on specific aspects of the environment based on the threat coming um yeah i think what you said there um you mentioned about you know your situational awareness it needs to become habit and second nature and i think that's very right you can teach situational awareness but it only becomes second nature when you actually practice it and you spend more time working in the industry or on the job and one of the things i think we've mentioned previously on the podcast that may have been when we spoke to you was the uh, the old u.s marine the colonel jeff cooper the cooper's color codes and I think that sums it up really well, you know, that yes. a civilian, they, they tend to walk, walk around in what they call cold white, where they're oblivious to things that are going on. Where yes. in our role, you should be in code yellow at all times. You know, you, you're taking it away. You're aware of what's going on in your surroundings. And then if you pick something up, then you'll, you'll step up a notch to orange and then red if you need to react. But I think they're described really well within the group as colour code. So if, if anyone hasn't heard of them, that's something worth looking at. And it's... um. Yeah, really good reading um, for sure. So Thomas, last question for myself. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase I've seen in um, some of the websites in, in the UK and it's when a terrorist attack happens or an incident and it says run, hide, fight or run, hide, run, hide tell. What, what, what's your thoughts? Well, I, I think um, for survival, the first word is the most important. Uh, statistically, those who react first and uh, react appropriately, and that appropriate reaction is usually not to run towards gunfire unless you hurt. That's your duty. Um, so the uh, other run, hide, fight or run, hide, tell that for personal safety, that's number one. Um, the, the, the hide part is more difficult. The tell when you are in a safe location, that's when you should be concentrating on, on providing data, being a good witness. Talking, you know, talking to law enforcement, uh, but the, you, you brought up a good point. Um, the run, hide, fight is, it's a useful mantra based on the idea that you want to limit your number of options. You don't want to be deciding among five options because it slows our reaction time. And uh, having uh, awareness of the, our environment, specifically the, the elements in the environment that we're going to use in that run situation, having those catalog before the incident occurs is gonna make all the difference in terms of the speed which we, by which we react. The other part is if we're not really um, aware of the characteristics of the specific threats, uh, let me give you an example. In terms of terrorist attacks, active uh, attacker scenarios, there are basically four major um, types of attacks. You start with firearms attacks. You've got the knives and, uh, and clubs. There was just a knifing, a big knifing situation in Sweden. Um, then you, you've got explosive attacks and you've got uh, vehicle ramming. You, all of us should learn what the, what the characteristics, um, you know, at, at least a baseline of understanding of the characteristics of each of those threats and the characteristic sounds um, that are associated with them. Because in a, in a lot of cases, that's the first 
uh, way we realize something's happening. When I start hearing firecrackers in the distance, and it's a place that there should never be firecrackers, I shouldn't have to be thinking about that and asking my coworkers, hey, is that a firework display? Is there something? No, I should be immediately reacting. Uh, the same thing is with when I hear a vehicle revving and I hear the sound of a crash uh, and I'm in a market area in Germany, I better be heading to something that was going to provide protection from a vehicle uh, uh, behind a wall in a building. And um, so this that ability to recognize quickly and then utilize the run hide fight. That's, that's something that's I think it's under under um, mm -hmm. under focused. Yeah, I think, you know, what you said there, it's same thing as we discussed before. In our role, if you're walking around and you're in code white, you're completely oblivious to anything. When something happens, you know, you, you can be caught like a rabbit in the headlights, you know, and it's a fight or flight. You know, you, you're completely lost as what to do. Where if you're walking around in your role, you know, you've got good situational awareness, you're going to be more ready for whatever threat comes and you can make better, more informed decisions. But Thomas, so I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking protecting the protector, the number one skill I'm hearing is don't make yourself a victim, right? Don't make yourself a problem. Uh, avoid surveillance and, and, and maybe in the last resort, then do something kinetic. Um, and that has its own genre, what's best, what's not best. And, and, and lots of people have lots of opinions on, on that aspect. So, so, so on the prevention side, I, I guess I want to ask more of a binary question, which is, are there just some people that will never get it? And I ask this, uh, because uh, sometimes we have uh, people on the podcast and, and, and I try to drill down. I say, what makes, uh, you know, great observational skills? How do we acquire them? And, and, and sometimes the response is they're just natural. Uh, they got the job because they noticed things others uh, did not, or they have a weird appreciation for street furniture. I, I don't know <laughs> what it is, right? But something natural. So is there unfortunately a, a type of operator that, that just will never have uh, said skills because it's, it's organically uh, from within, or can it be taught? I think to a certain extent it can be taught, but um, people that are really good at um, surveillance work, whether they're um, doing counter surveillance or, or actually doing surveillance, uh, there's, a, there's almost an art level. I've worked with some people that um, they are just amazing. Uh, they're chameleons. They're uh, going to be that superior level. And, and again, like the, like the bell curve, there's going to be people who just can't get it. And that's why you, you want to be working with your team and just, and deciding, okay, um, this, this, uh, uh, this agent is really good at blending in. We're going to, and we're going to be working with, uh, with them as, as our advanced person. And they're going to be doing more of the surveillance work. And we've got other people that are, are better suited for uh, kinetic activity. Um, we, when we had our people set up for our counter assault teams, it was very much who's, who are the better shooters. We weren't really looking for uh, the ability to blend in at that point. So, um, so team selection is very important. Uh, uh, abilities uh, and attributes are another important. I worked with a guy who we went through a training class. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of 14 debt. Uh, intelligence debt. There was a unit that did surveillance work for SAS in, uh, over in Ireland. And um, there's just people that, that physically are not going to blend in. Uh, I, I went through training with a guy who was six foot four and there's nothing we could do with him. Uh, 
He went through the training. It was good. He, uh, he was on the protection teams later and, and he utilized a lot of the training, but he was never going to blend in, in, uh, to the Casbah in Algiers like I do. <laughs> so no, that's I, a good I think question. Everything you said there is actually bang on, you know, I think in any role or any team, you, team selection is the utmost. I know when we have teams, you know, I always try to put the right person to the right task. Um, and even if, say, I'd been on a team 10 years and I've got someone who's been here two weeks, if they're more experienced than me in a particular area, I'm not going to try and do that. I'll, I'll say, John, please, can you take care of this? And you use them for their skill set um, instead of trying to, you know, take on and do everything yourself. I think that's, you know, some of the best lessons I've learned is by using correct people in the correct roles um, and knowing your limitations and other people's also. No, but 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 I like that, and and that's that's an angle that perhaps I wasn't getting at, or we weren't, or or maybe I hadn't quite uh, clocked. Uh, when we talk about protecting the protector, quite often we talk about them protecting themselves, but there is a responsibility of the team leader to say uh, this person is definitely a desk job specialist, and we should not put them in harm's way, and this person is not. And I I, I wonder, I wonder, Thomas, does. Does, does that come into the factoring of it all? Because when, when you train people, do you, do you try to train, uh, train management in, in, in the art of selection? Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a really important point. Well, we spend uh, on our, in our training classes, um, training people to do predictive operations, we talk um, a lot about the, uh, the relationship between the protection unit and the protecting. And one of the things we found is if they don't understand what uh, what we're doing and how we operate, we're they're going to trip us up and we're going to trip them up. In fact, it, we ended up um, specifically putting our case officers through a mini protection course so they could understand what we're doing when we're protecting them. And we did the reverse. I I taught a tradecraft portion so they would understand why. The, these case officers are going out and doing car pickups and brush passes and things. So when we understand each other's roles, um, we're less likely to, um, to, to mess up. And um, the, the other part is we explain to them why we're doing what we're doing. And then they have a, they don't think, wow, why don't you do this? And, and they, uh, they have, uh, there's a better, there's a higher confidence level um, that we are, we're doing what we need to do and that they're, they can feel confident that, um, that they're being taken care of. And that is, that is important because duty of care. And if it, in fact, I think we've had duty of care as a topic um, before. Um, but maybe, maybe a question I should have asked at the beginning, right? Are protectors actually targeted that much? Um, or, or, or is it just get out of harm's way? Because we, we always assume that protectors are pr- protecting principles and people have reasons to, you know, target principles. But what about the protectors? I mean, are people deliberately going out their way to do something to them? I would. <laughs> Have you asked me to put my my terrorist hat on? Absolutely. They're, the terrorists are going to be looking at us and they're going to be factoring us in. And if we're, we have to make ourselves a hard target. And part of that is if they, what we like to say when we were working in Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan, if you, if you don't see me, you can't really attack me. So I would rather you don't see me 
but if you do see me, I want to, I want to project um, that you're, that I'm going to be a hard target, that you're going to have a hard time getting to me. My, my awareness of the surroundings is going to make it difficult for you. So that's why we can't be lit, so laser focused on the protectee and forget about our own safety. Mm-hmm. And I suppose in, in the Hollywood movies, uh, at least in the 80s and 90s, some of the larger stars um, regaled on just how many um, uh, bodyguards they might have killed in a, in a given movie. So I, I suppose it's not uh, that uh, surprising. No. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I like this. Well, what's, uh, what's next for you? What, what, are you, what are you next uh, training people on? Well, we just developed this advanced situational awareness course. It's, it's to um, work on the basic principles of situational awareness that we teach in our regular course. And then we, we add on some, some more sophisticated features about uh, our senses. And then we, we apply it very specifically to the higher level threats. We look at the char- characteristics of the threats that we're, that we're facing. We're talking active shooter. We're talking about organized crime. We're talking about terrorism. And then we are looking at how we can directly apply situational awareness principles against those tar- those threats, w- working against their weaknesses, the enemy's weakness. And um, it's a very specific course, and it's something that was a major part of our training um, uh, in protective operations because of the changes in methodology in um, basically in the 70s and 80s when we found that guys with guns and armored cars weren't enough. We had to beat them in a different area. And that's where our knowledge of the, uh, the environment um, and our knowledge of uh, surveillance, um, profile and characteristics, that's how we ended up really working um, more effectively against some of these threats. And that, and that sort of, leads into projective mobility piece. And I think we, we, we've previously spoken about the fallacy of the MRAP or, or something like that. It's like, it's fine, but it can't move. Um, and uh, you know, you, you, you're trying to solve one problem, but yet being less visible maybe is, is, uh, is better. Um, another thing that we've really liked uh, in these last at least few months doing the podcast is to say, can we recap or what can we distill from our podcast session today? Um, I, I found it uh, quite uh, quite useful. Um, what, what, what do you think, Sean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the big thing I've took away, and I've liked listening to Thomas, is de- definitely my thing as well. Team selection, I think, is key. Utilising, you know, people's strengths with, within your team. Um, going back with all we've gone over. <laughs> I, 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 uh, but yeah, no, for sure. I think everything you said, speaking from experience, hit the nail on the head on a couple of different areas. And I think tying in with, go back to the Cooper's Colour Codes, I think what Thomas said there is completely in line with everything that's documented and how it should be taught. And it's the longer you work in the industry, the more you, you gain experience in carrying out your role. And I think you become more, you naturally gain that situa- situational awareness through carrying out the role. Um, and yeah, no, I think it's been great, Thomas, and it's great to have you on again, you know, to, to hear you speak from experience. It's fantastic. That's a pleasure being here. Um, this is a, a, a passion for me. I've, uh, it's been a major part of my life. So uh, uh, all, all things protective operations. <laughs>
Well, Thomas, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on again. It's great to uh, sort of top and tail these last couple of years, uh, at least to this point, with uh, an interview with you. Uh, I, I very much hope to see you in person uh, soon. Transfer uh, December. Uh, yeah, ex- yeah we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. And uh, yes, from Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Wonderful to welcome Thomas back to the podcast. Obviously, as a former CIA security officer, he has so many experiences that many operators just won't have access to, but I'm glad he shared his wealth of experience and advice with us. Um, what did you take away from today's session, Sean? I, I, I love it when we get someone who speaks from absolute experience and, and you, you could get that oozing out of him. I think, you know, w- what I liked... And, you know, when we were bouncing backwards and forwards, and I think one of the things we had a, a lot of agreement on, I believe, was about using individual skills t- to the best of their ability. So using the team leaders having a duty of care and putting the correct guys or girls into situations that they're, what's the word, that they can thrive in as opposed to something that maybe someone else on the team would be better to do. Um, I think using the right people, using the right tools for the right task. And, you know, I see a team, when I'm managing a team, I see it as almost like moving the chess pieces. You know, you have some people that are have the soft skills who, you know, are great working with different parts of the family. Or, and then if they're going out to a club, maybe use one of the other guys who has, I don't know, more of a presence when they're going out, depending on where they're going. And it's just... Exactly that, just using the right people for the right position and task ahead. And I think he, he mentioned that a lot. And I think, yeah, it'll be great to hear from him again. And, and actually, that in itself is a very good point. And I think we went through this with Thomas. Quite often, we might talk about, right, Krav Maga is the way to protect the protector. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, this this way is a way for the protector to disappear out of sight, out of mind. But actually, there's a degree of well, the team operator didn't put them in harm's way. Um, you know, that's that that that's quite a key uh, thing, a duty of care, which obviously is uh, very very topical at uh, at the moment. Um, I I, 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 think, I think the other thing he spoke about, which which I really liked, was you know when he was talking about operating low profile, and I think he gave an example of. And Beyonce in a changing room or something where, where the guy was stood outside and then that, you know, piqued interest because like, oh, why is this guy standing there? Um, and I think, you know, I always, same thing, like to operate low profile and not draw attention to the principles that you're protecting. But that's not to say low profile is the correct way because, you know, working with different clients, different scenarios, then the profile needs to completely change. Um, it's just the area in which I have experience of, and it's, it's a real good way to operate. You know, not having the bodyguards that draw attention, you know, having someone who can walk alongside you, behind you, in front of you, along the street, you know, can walk past people and don't even flicker an eyelid. You know, people aren't aware who, who is walking down the street. And I think it's a, it's a great way to operate and, and a great skill to have. And it's, it's one you get through experience of carrying out the role. And the longer you carry out the role, the better your tradecraft becomes 
and be able to operate like that. Indeed. And a lot of people talk about ability to disappear in a cloud of smoke uh, or, you know, the, the, you know, such a, such a skill. And yeah, can it be taught? Can it be learned? I, I don't know. I wouldn't know. It's not me. So um, I, 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 I feel that there's more to explore, which of course one can do through uh, training courses and, uh, and, and, and so on. Um, and of course uh, I did ask, you know, our bodyguards in harm's way. And we, we joked about uh, the Hollywood movies where they unfortunately get the thin end of the wedge, all these bodyguards. Um, but even in a more easy to see capacity, people do target celebrity bodyguards because they're enormous uh, sometimes and they think I'll have a go and it will, you know, uh, get me kudos or, or what have you. So uh, it's, it's, it's definitely important. Uh, de-escalation of course is one way. Uh, kinetic response is another way, but actually not becoming part of the problem is, uh, is perhaps one of the most desirable ways I, w- I would imagine. So, what have we got coming up? What is our ask of people? What uh, are we reaching out to them uh, for this week? Well, we have issue 63 of the circuit currently in production. Um, so we're looking for articles for that. And I think a nice article we could receive would be on situational awareness, which would be on the back of the podcast. So maybe we can tap Thomas up for something along them lines um, for our other prior contributors and if anyone else who wants to contribute if you've got an article that may be of interest to the protective community please get in touch and we will get you signed up and and a particular plea from me i i'm a big fan of how to's so uh, even even if your article is quite structured and, and 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 formulaic in terms of uh you know bullet points i think anything that says i wish i had known or uh, this, these are my top uh, piece of advice. I think that would go down a treat this month, especially uh, as you say, given the situational awareness piece. Um, yeah, I really like some of the, um, the case studies as well. I mean, maybe they don't work so well in a static magazine, um, but where you can you watch the video and have a bit of a case study on different events, and I think a lot can be learned from different case studies. So maybe you know we should look to do something like that within the magazine. Um, find some prior incidents which our readers readers could potentially learn from i like that yeah people people like a case study don't they uh brings it to life much as we're trying to bring bring the pages of the circuit magazine to life here um so fantastic thank you very much to thomas for all your help and support lovely to catch up with you after uh, what is probably two years or, or perhaps only one and a half but uh but it's great to hear from you again Looking forward to seeing you again, all of you, on another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.